Welcome to More Than One Thing with Athena Calderon, the podcast focused on non-traditional career paths, creative endeavors, and the ever-evasive multi-hyphenate. This is a podcast about taking the road less traveled to find your passion and purpose while navigating the hurdles and hoops we all jump through on this personal and creative journey. I'm your host, Athena Calderon, author, interior designer, cook, recipe developer, entertaining expert, creative director, stylist, storyteller, editor, and certified oversharer. Does that sound like an insanely long list of things to do? Well, it is, and that's exactly why we're here. Every week, I'm going to be sitting down with another multi-hyphenate whom I admire deeply to talk through their struggles, vulnerabilities, and eventual successes throughout their beautiful and winding journey to where they are now. Because it's in other stories, I believe, that we can always see just a little piece of ourselves. I wanted to take a moment to share that my upcoming design book, Live Beautiful, is publishing on March 3rd. This week, I'm launching an exciting pre-sale campaign. Anyone that pre-orders the book before the launch will receive a little surprise. I'm releasing exclusive pages that document the visual process behind each designer's home with never-before-seen mood boards. You can only receive this downloadable booklet if you pre-order the book. So go to iSwoon.com and click on Live Beautiful to learn more. Today is super exciting because I'm going to be introducing two of my dearest friends, Nate Burkus and Jeremiah Brent. Both of them are accomplished interior designers and TV personalities, amongst other impressive feats. They also happen to be married, deeply in love, and have a beautiful family with two precious children, Poppy and Oscar. On an individual level, Nate established his award-winning interior design firm, Nate Burkus Associates, in Chicago at the age of 24. In 2002, he was introduced to the world on The Oprah Show, making over 50 appearances, transforming hundreds of home makeovers, and becoming the most recognizable interior designer. Nate hosted his own daytime TV talk show, The Nate Burkus Show. He had American Dream Builders on NBC. He continues to design products with lines and collections with Target, The Shade Store, and a fabric collection for Kravit. He's also the author of two New York Times bestselling books, Home Rules and The Things That Matter. And in 2011, he served as an executive producer on the Oscar-winning film, The Help. Jeremiah is an innate artist and self-taught interior designer with a successful design firm in both Los Angeles and New York City called Jeremiah Brent Design. He has a keen eye for style and craftsmanship, and Jeremiah has established himself as both a tastemaker and influencer, continually inspiring those around him through various partnerships, television series, and branded collaborations. He began his TV career on The Rachel Zoe Project and was the host of the Emmy Award-winning show Homemade Simple for two seasons on OWN. Together, in 2017, Jeremiah and Nate launched the television show Nate and Jeremiah by Design on TLC. And just this past year, in 2018, Nate and Jeremiah successfully debuted their exclusive furniture line with Living Spaces. 
Aside from Nate and Jeremiah's obvious career successes, my two beautiful friends continue to help pave the way both publicly, on their TV series, and simply by leading by example for the normalization of gay couples having families with children. These two are the real deal, the most kind and sensitive and thoughtful humans I know. I'm so honored to have them on the show today and to share the details of their journeys, their struggles, and their triumphs. Jeremiah and Nate, welcome to More Than One Thing. Thank you, love. Welcome. I'm just so excited for our mutual friends to hear this and know that we are kinder and more sensitive than all of them. That's not the takeaway. Yeah, it's my takeaway. <laughs> no. They're all gonna be, you're gonna get like your email's gonna blow this, up, girl. Oh no. That sums up what's wrong with him in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, but you guys really are. Aww, I mean, you make me here. a better human, a better mother. I mean, you guys have seen me at my worst and made me a better person. So Well, ditto. You've seen yeah, us at our I worst. think that's what real friendship is. You it's not when we're all polished and dressed and at an event. We were talking about it last night. It's about when you're when things aren't working as the whole point of the podcast. It's like when things get sticky and who's standing next to you through that. I mean, that brings us to exactly what this is about. You know, how have those sticky moments throughout your careers, the unknowns, the chasing after a moment to find out, well, maybe that really wasn't the moment, but then to find out maybe it really was because Mm -hmm. it's there all these little crumbs of life that end up accumulating and carry you on to your next journey. We don't have, you know, linear, singular paths. So I don't know. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you've each gotten to where you are today. And, you know, maybe you can summarize what life is like now as opposed to how you thought it was going to roll out. Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, one, one thing that's been somewhat specific to my career is that people generally or commonly think that because I was on Oprah, that's why I have everything and have all these opportunities and have been able to maintain those opportunities. And the fact that I was on the Oprah show and was launched on the Oprah show sort of in the public eye did create a million different opportunities for me. But that's not what sustains those opportunities and sustains those relationships. What sustains those relationships and partnerships professionally and personally, actually, because I don't believe you can compartmentalize anything in life. I think we're all who we are in business and at home, and that's a good thing. But the truth is, is that sustaining those partnerships and relationships and growing those opportunities is a result of work ethic, not fame, not, you know, Oprah being like, hey, come on the show. A lot of Doris, Jer and I have talked about this um, a lot, actually, in our, in our marriage and in our relationship, but there's a lot of doors that open for a lot of people. And you have to be in the right place and in the right mindset to step through that door and really let it sink in what that means and how to forage your way through on a path that you've never done before. And I see people who are really able to do it well, like my husband. I've never seen him walk through a door that he didn't completely learn everything he needed to know about what what that new experience might be and then really give it a thousand percent. And I've seen people that I love, you know, walk through the door and just fall off the cliff. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that there's a there's a real commonality in the multi-hyphenate on how they grasp opportunity and how they accept and welcome opportunity. And they all have one thing in common. I believe they all come from a place of abundance, not yeah. a place of fear. Yeah. I mean, but sometimes fear does 
Well, it's scary as shit. Yeah. yeah, of course. So how do you work through that? Well, I think it's really interesting, the, the subject of fear, because it's what you're fearing that's interesting to me. Because I've never feared failure, but I have feared regret. And I think it's a really important distinction because I, you know, I had this moment recently at our, I had my 35th birthday, which was a surprise and Athena was there. And I stood up and I had this moment where I realized, you know, at 35, which is a big number for me. Everyone's like, oh, this I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> but Move at 35, 35, I have no regrets, which is a big number for which me. Is a Everyone's huge like, oh, this I've ever been. But at 35, I have no regrets, which is a huge thing and something I'm very proud of, regardless of all the other things. You know, there's things that I wish I hadn't done and things I could have done better, and but there's not one regret. And like my biggest wish is that the next 35 years, I'm standing up there at 70 saying the exact same thing. So I think fear can be very motivating. Um, and I think if it's channeled through the right type of fear, uh, it's really interesting. And, and it's definitely fueled me, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, wanting to make sure that I never didn't take a risk or I never took a chance because it was uncomfortable. But I've never been afraid of failure because the truth is we fail. I mean, I have four failures a day. I'm yeah. really not afraid of failure either. I'm afraid of being poor. <laughs> I think it's really scary. You better get to work. And I think I'd be really bad at it. You would oh be terrible. God. I think I'd be which like the why, worst poor person on the face of the earth. Which is why I'm aging rapidly. <clears throat> Literally, <laughs> Jeremiah is like out there like pounding the pavement, building all this stuff. And I'm just like, ah, I keep going, babe. Yeah. <laughs> no, you better clock in. So has there been ever moments in each of your careers where you did feel debilitated by your fear? Or how do you push through it when uncertainties come up or you don't know how to navigate a specific opportunity that's presented to you? Well, I find myself not knowing how to do anything most of the time. You know, I think I have gotten very good at trusting my gut and and believing in myself, which was I, the hard answer is that it was not easy for me. It took me a long time. Design was an accident for me. The passion had always been there since I was a kid, but I actually came into it through working in nightclubs and helping people with the, you know, the flow of the nightclub. And then I was asked to build things for people. And then I was asked, and, you know, and it kind of evolved into that, you know, and, I, and I'll never forget being 27 years old, 26 years old and selling everything that I own to pay for an LLC, which by the way, it turns out I shouldn't have gotten an LLC. I should have gotten something else, oh, but that's right. another lesson Ouch. I've learned. But I sold everything I owned, including my car at the time. And I got a decal that was $40 online. And I put it on my living room wall. And it said Jeremiah Brent Design. And I set aside money so that I could hire one person that had a background in design because I didn't know the logistics of design, but I knew what I wanted things to feel like and what I wanted them to look like. And I knew what I wanted to create. And it was the scariest fucking thing I've ever done. And I'll never forget it because it was, you know, it was something that was so outside of anything I'd ever done before. And it was me. And, you know, it was, I mean, it changed my life. I'll never forget that little house with that decal. But it's really, it's really scary. And I have moments all the time where I'm questioning if I can do this or, you know, sometimes feeling like a fraud, which I think- I was I, just going to say that. Yeah, most yeah. of us, can I we think all we agree? all have those like, moments. I always feel yeah, like a fraud. Always, always. always. Yeah, I just did a I, I, show where I'm doing, I mean, I can't say anything about it, but I'm, it's a huge show. And on Netflix, you can no, say. I can't, but uh, it's out now. I said it. Um, okay. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I was like, I can't say what it is. Anyway, I'm doing a huge show and it's in something, it's in a category of design that I've never, 
never done before. I've never approached. And the whole time I'm like, how am I going to attack this? What am I going to do? Am I pretending to be something I'm not? But the truth is it ended up being like the core of what design is, which is, you know, the intention, the heart behind the creativity that you bring into it. But, you know, it's, I feel like I'm constantly challenged and what, feel like a fraud. What does Brene Brown say about the difference between the wholehearted? She calls people either wholehearted or not in, in, in her books, but it's, she says, I think, I think she did the, the drill down of that is that somebody who's wholehearted obviously approaches life kind of like the three of us I do. I think she says it's the willingness to try. Mm. I think she, I thought she said that they believe that they deserve it. Sure. I like that too. Maybe but it's I, all of it. You know, it's it's a lot of stuff. But I think, you know, ultimately, I remember when I started my business, I remember laying in bed on Sunday nights. It was always a Sunday night. It would start creeping in. The thoughts would start creeping in around 4.30 when like the sun was starting to go down. And... It would happen. It would last all night. And now looking back, I feel like they might have been like sort of mini panic episodes. Right. But I would lay in bed and just think of like everything that could go wrong. And I had like two employees at the time and I had lots of, you know, sort of bills out and invoices out. And I would think like, what if that person doesn't pay that bill? Then I can't pay this. And what if it was always financial for me? It was always, always financial for me. We know that. We know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, but that's the truth. I mean, I think when you're starting a company as a creative, you wonder if anybody's going to pay for your ideas. Because the truth is, is that people out there are paying for all of our ideas, our opinion, what we think, the way we see things, the way we arrange things, the way we combine things, the way we view objects and food and and spaces um is that something that somebody's willing to like put their mastercard down for that's a really scary question right. and last night at dinner we were having a conversation about the things that we are not good at and mm -hmm. you know Nate and I were having a conversation I'll share with everyone last night about you know we're both interior designers but when we look at specific plans oh and God. look at a section of a crown molding <laughs> or God. that like a baseboard our, or a, anything yeah, my eyes paneling. just glaze over I don't understand it and I can it could read be like triangles I would have no idea <laughs> So when you have a, a something that comes up, whether it's like in your TV careers or when you're designing a product or, you know, whether you're working with a client, when something comes up for you where you absolutely don't know the yeah. answer, do you just, are you honest? Do you fake it till you make it? Do no, you find I used to some fake it. I mean, uh, uh, before I had I was going to say, one of the my favorite things that Nate has said before and I've really adopted is, you know, you we know what we know, we know what we don't. I think there's more power to knowing what you don't know and not pretending, you know. There's a lot that you can learn from empowering the people around you and yep. just saying, and being honest with them and saying, listen, I have no idea what this casing is or what this is or whether it's partnerships. You know, we have a furniture line. And, you know, one thing that we're kind of battling and trying to understand is everything from us comes from a very, our, our artistic curated reference. You know, we're talking about the French 50s or the Viennese secession and trying to introduce silhouettes that are really refined and in our opinion, very timeless. But what that what resonates with your average consumer and what they want in their home and what they want in their day-to-day -day life is different. That's what we're experiencing. So we just had this moment with, you know, Living Spaces, which has been an amazing partner for us. But we had a moment where we're like, okay, are we out of our mind? Should we let go of the fringe? Like, tell us, like, be honest with us and let's have a real dialogue. Because I think the one thing that I can say about Nate and I, separate from the fact that we are good listeners is that there's no ego with the things Zero. and the way we move through the world. No. Mm. You know, I don't pretend to know everything unless I'm talking to Nate. 
Um, Exhausting. I, which normally I do. We don't pretend to know everything, and there's this not you don't learn anything from from thinking you know everything. But I think you touched upon Jeremiah just touched upon something that I think is important that we the three of us address. When you're a creative or an artist, and you're asked by a company to design something, whether you're a chef or you're opening a restaurant or you're like us and asked to do a furniture line or a lighting line or whatever it is, you know there is a very important point between making something that no one's ever seen before that people will be excited by and also making something that they're willing to live with and buy and have in their home. Everything down to a color of a towel actually matters. And so what Jer was referencing, you know, with our partnership with Living Spaces is we sit in the meetings with all the buyers and all the product people and all of that. And even though our ideas are relatively highborn or the reference is relatively highborn, what we need to do and what we depend on our partners to do is say to us, no one, none of our customers are ever going to buy that. You're making a huge mistake. But that's not normal with a lot of partnerships. Most people, most of the time you put your concept down and then people build it out. And I I've think, always had that relationship. I know, but I'm saying the unique thing about what we do and the way we work is that we know what we know and we know what we don't. And I think it goes a long way. Yeah. Well, again, like who wants a collection that fails? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but your point of reference can still inform 100%. the shape of the sofa, totally. but you don't have to use that as the language no. that's just going to, no. you know. But sometimes it's, get you lost. know, sometimes it's it's just a matter of like that shape is too avant-garde. Yeah. Right. Or that arm is too niche. Like that is not Which going to fly. Into. Yeah. Or that color or that fabric, you know. So you have to really strike a balance and that comes I think with with good partnerships and solid open communication that without ego and it also comes from experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because you, you sometimes want to design for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've shared this with you before, Nate. I feel like your your personal style and your brand are are, are very different. Mm-hmm. Like, And that's that was a conscious choice that you said Oprah kind of pointed a question to you once that made you. Yeah, she said she asked me once. She said, look, like, you know. Because when I was on the show initially, the first year, that is when a lot of these opportunities first started coming, publishing and licensing and product design and all of that stuff. And she said, well, you need to really think about what you want to do because your audience is my audience, actually. And my audience are these people. And they're not going to go out and spend $10,000 on a sofa or $5,000 on a lamp. Nobody they're gonna does go out anymore. and spend <laughs> some people do. But they're gonna they're gonna go out and, and spend, you know, fifty dollars on a lamp and maybe seven hundred and fifty dollars on a sofa at the time. And she said, I think it would be a disservice to everybody who's grown to know you on my show to sell things that they can't afford. It, what, you know, but it's up to you. And I, I took that advice and I've always done mass and a very approachable as a result of that. And the truth is, I love it. I was going to say, I, the I interesting, really like it. The interesting yeah. thing about it is that what Nate, there's two very interesting sides to him. There's the side that's like the Viennese secession and pulling these references from French 50s and all these tr- crazy obscure things because he's got this insane Encyclopedia. encyclopedic memory. But the other side of him is the guy that grew up in Minnesota 
and can go. They, he appreciates a good TJ Maxx. Yep. And Dairy likes, Queen. He Dairy loves Queen. the Dairy Queen. <laughs> he, under, he understands the value of things. He understands uh, the consumer and what it means to go buy a lamp and the idea that he wants to create something that's beautiful and impactful and an affordable price. And I think he was one of the first people, in my opinion, to really make design feel personal. You know, yeah. watching him on Oprah was interesting because I think it was the first real time that people were connected to design and the impact it can have in your lives. Mm. And he gave them the confidence to do that. And I think that's the, what I like about what he's created because, you know, obviously he doesn't love a pink towel, but he knows people do love a pink towel. And I right. think he's very no much- problem with it. Yeah, exactly. But Babe, when you used to watch me on Oprah, did you want to fool around? No. <laughs> I was a little bit younger than you at the time. How old were you? Like five? How old? What year was it? Oh, let's move on. No, come on. Let's do it. This is fun. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, was too, I was on Oprah in 2002 to 2012. 2002, I graduated high school, so I was 17. Yeah, so did you want to fool around? No. <laughs> but you were cute. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I think what's really interesting that we've come back around to this is that you said earlier that you have no ego. Myself included, as like a creative, I do think that sometimes my ego gets involved because I do think my brand is as elevated as my lifestyle. And yep. maybe that's not really, maybe that's a disservice to me, but maybe my ego is too wrapped up in it. But you really have separated your ego from your work. I have. I mean, it's... I don't think we could be married if he had an ego. <laughs> and I don't mean that because of me personally. I mean, it's just who I am professionally. You know, one of the really interesting things, I can't believe I'm giving you so many compliments I know, I'm today. like, this is the best. I it's like a birthday it. present. stressing me out. One of the interesting things, one yes. of the interesting things about our relationship is obviously the irony that, you know, w when we met, I, everybody thought I was a prostitute, you know, <laughs> oh like, basically. They're like, including my mother. You didn't. Including but, my mother. Yes, exactly. But, you know, I wasn't, uh, clearly. And <laughs> I was a designer and working really hard and passionate about creating my own story and my own narrative for my business. And he was always, always my biggest champion. He would get involved as much as I wanted him to be involved, which was nothing. <laughs> he was, you know, it's true. I'm sure it was so annoying for you. No. But he was always and always has been my biggest champion. And there's no way that we could have built our careers simultaneously. Mine's obviously in a different chapter than his, but to build them and then to now be building a brand collectively, you know, you couldn't have that ego and think that you know everything and then also show up for somebody and be supportive and allow Allow them and empower them to do the same thing. Well, yeah. first of all, I love you for saying that, but let's tell Athena's audience what first year of filming our show together was like. Oh and my God, he's so annoying. So it's the same as it was the first year of being married. Yeah. You could because, you know, you meet this man who has had an entire life alone. He's been through hell and back. He has a very clear idea with the way he likes to move through the world. And I <laughs> also <laughs> have a very clear idea with how I like to move through the world. So there was a lot of me going, um, it's not going to work like that. And you can't talk to me like that. And I don't work for you. And I'm a strong woman. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, but that came through on the show. And I think that that's yeah. what people really related yeah. Yeah. to because that's real That was totally life. authentic. And, yeah. you know, for me, I was super honest about the fact that I had never had to stop and break stride to ask anybody else's opinion for a TV <laughs> makeover. It was just like me and my crew. And like the producers would be like, oh, maybe you should do this. And I'd be like, no, yes. Okay. All right. Great. Um, yeah, but ask my opinion, honor it, and believe it. Right. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole thing. different thing. And somebody who's been doing TV for 25 years to have me chasse in there with a you know, side swoop and say, that <laughs> pillow doesn't go there. And 
to value my opinion. And it, I mean, it's a big deal. And it, I think it's a testament to the ego portion of what you were saying yeah. and how important it is. And I have that same thing where I don't feel like an ego, but it's also been really great to watch him move through the world and to learn in that way of like, okay, yeah, it's okay for us not to know and have the answers. The same thing that we're doing with parenting. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. Don't, we don't have, as you know, and you've been so amazing at kind of giving us our pep talks and walking us through. I always come to you for mom advice when I see you. <laughs> like, what'd you do about this? But, you know, it's the same thing with parenting. You know, you can't, I don't think the ego, it just gets in the way. I, going back to what you said earlier, though, I do think your ego gets in the way of your career. I actually think you're right. And I think that's an honest, really honest statement. But I don't know if that's a bad thing. Because the purity of what you are creating and like the, the your your true, true style is exactly what's on your Instagram. It's exactly what you dress like. It's exactly how you live. So why would you actually say to a big commercial partner, oh, really? You don't think round works? Okay, well, then it's gone. If that's something that you really feel in the moment is is important to what you're doing. And when I look sort of at the the biggies, like the big, historic, brilliant designers and creators of, of the past, a lot of them didn't make concessions. You know, no one was telling these like phenomenal, like, um, Royer. Royer. No one was telling Jean Royer or Jean-Michel Franck, no, actually, you know what? I want a floral sofa. He would have been like, well, go hire somebody else. You know? So, I mean, I think there's probably a balance. I've gone one it's, direction. Yes. But it's, it was also a different time. Yeah, there but was, it also... There, was a, there is such a different variety and a potpourri of opportunity and people. I mean, projects that I have, I'm still getting... We're still bidding against four other design firms at the same time. Or, you know what I mean? It's really, you know, the information has changed and people's access has changed. And I think it's a really... I think it's a really amazing time for design and for life because... You know, I've said this to you, I think, but I will hire an intern and they're referencing like the Sistine Chapel or these these structures from, you know, 18th century Rome that normally they would never even known about. But they've traveled the world visually now because of the Internet and everything else. So yeah. I think yeah. I, I agree. I think there's a balance. You know, I'm trying to find that balance where I keep the purity of like what I stand for and what I what I, what is interesting to me and what I want to represent, but also making it something that is enough that everybody can connect to it. Well, I also think that it, it's the whole reason why I wanted to share these stories and share everybody's different path mm -hmm. because we, I know myself anyway, like I always thought there was a right and a wrong way to find success, to find right. career. Because we were brought up that way. We are, yeah. And, and well, it also was that way for yeah, a long time. Yeah, and it was that way. Right. Yeah. Fame looked a certain way. Be a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. Totally. That, and and I know. actually think that, you know, especially now that I have a high school student that's really navigating, you know, his junior year and figuring out what he wants to do. And his school is super progressive. But I think that, you know, schools are not helping kids realize like the vast amount of opportunities that are out there yeah. for them. Like, I wish I knew what a creative director was or what, you know, an yeah. art director was or just an editor in general or, you know, there's just so many opportunities that kids can 
can navigate through that they're unaware of. Yeah, I feel like I had this conversation with a girlfriend not too long ago. We were talking about school and just what college means now. And by the way, I love college. I just want to preface that. I think it's great for a lot of people. Um, but it's also really complicated for a lot of people. And professionally, I feel like with schools, they're not teeing people up to be successful humans. Mm -hmm. They're teeing them up to go into a system that doesn't necessarily, might not necessarily work with them. Um, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting, because I didn't finish college. I was out. I was not interested. I was not, I was there for marketing and advertising. And, and I'm not saying that as a thing against college, but it's just interesting, especially watching your son go through high school. It's like, what else can we be teaching these kids to prepare them for what the world really is now? Well, listen, I mean, none of us are teachers, and I think that they have like an incredibly hard job. A good yeah. teacher is is arguably one of the most important human beings in our, in our kids' lives. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a there's a a um, psych psychiatrist named Dr. Sheftali who does all this. The focus is on on children, raising kids, and one of the things that she said that really struck me that I never forgot was that she would go to the parent teacher conferences and they would try to hand her the, the her children's grades, and she'd say, "I don't care if they're getting an A or a C or a D. I want to know: Have they participated? Are they kind? Are they helpful? Are they paying attention? Are they compassionate?" Those are the things that we value in our family. That, that's kind of what I was trying to say in, le in not such a good way. But what, what I wish that they were also teaching alongside these obviously scholastic milestones that people need to make is what it means to be a good person. Yeah. You know, what it means to be a fully evolved person. You know, the participation, yeah. listening, kindness, sharing, and empowerment to be a part of your community, right. making people feel like they're in, in empowered, that they're not just at 17 dropped off in a dorm and expected to figure out their life because they've right. got four years to do it. Or worse, end up a junior in high school and eat all of a four-year-old's cookies without permission. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Here we go. This past summer, Nate and Jeremiah stayed with me Big and trouble. my family, and my son, Jeevan, ate their daughter Poppy's Sprinkle cookies, cookies confetti cookies, confetti cookies yeah. and man, Poppy put Jeevan in a timeout. <laughs> the be the it best part was that I was like, Pops, I think, I think they got eaten. And then five minutes later, she comes upstairs with the wrapper and goes, yeah. these were in Jeevan's room. <laughs> I was like, oh. She was four. First of all, how did you even get down there? And how do you know where Jeevan's sleeping? Creep. So creepy. <laughs> Such a creep. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. Sums it up. Um, okay, well, I want to get to each of your hurdles and the catalysts that kind of changed the paradigm for you. Okay. So do you want to go first, Jer? Yeah, sure. There's been a lot of hurdles. I think the biggest hurdle was one I shared earlier with making the decision to start my own design firm. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge hurdle. But then the two years after that was one hurdle after another. You know, I started my design firm in a very different time than I think when even Nate started his, his design firm. You know, design is a lot more affordable and approachable, which makes it very complicated to start a company where you're curating that design. Right. And I think my biggest hurdle was those first two years. I mean, I took on a ton of projects that I made absolutely no money on. Nate wanted to pull oh his hair God, out. So no, this is really watch. important because when I had my design firm, I really struggled with yeah. how, to, how to charge people, mm -hmm. how to mark up things, you know. It was terrible. Hourly. I mean, it, it was, it's horrible. So I think this it is It was terrible. And I think share. people think that they start a design firm and they're going to make a lot of money. I mean, truth be told, my company didn't start really making money until the last two years. And I've had it for seven years. I mean, it sustained itself, but making real 
real profit and I worked my ass off and I continue to work my yeah, ass off. Nobody works harder. Yeah. I mean, I'm up at four to be caught up with everything that I need to do before everybody else is in the office. And when I was shooting the show, I would, I would clock in at midnight. I'd work for three hours, get back up in the morning before I was on the set. But you know, that those hurdles were always trusting myself to take the work on because you have to build the portfolio which is a terrible, and nobody wants to hear that as a new business. They're like, oh, please, I'm going to get the clients. I was the same person. But the truth is I had to take every project, however small, because I needed to build the presence and in a lot of ways build the confidence professionally and creatively to actually find my voice. Now I will say things that I and, and not allow things that I would never have done before. But I also know that I'm able to deliver in a way that I was never able to before. You know, and I think... The hurdle is always, I mean, I, I have a different hurdle every week. You know, I've got a hurdle now about growing again and making the jump to trust myself that, okay, I'm going to make this hurdle and that I'm going to get this project by this project and that'll sustain this. You know, just the reality of owning a company, the reality of supporting a family, which I do now. And, you know, I think the one thing that I have always been very good at is betting on myself which is something that Nate pointed out to me early into our relationship, because I know that I will always show up and do the work. I'm not a lazy person and I'll always work my ass off harder than anybody else at the end of the day. But yeah, I think there's constant, I mean, doing this last show that I did was such a huge hurdle for me. You know, leaving, I had to make the choice to leave our family for nine weeks um, to go to the middle of the country, which was also <laughs> a hurdle. You know, trying to do something creatively that I'd never been that I'd never done before, but trusting that I would figure it out. And then obviously learning so much about myself creatively through the process. I'm so glad I did it. Mm. But, you know, I, I, I think there's, a, there's always a hurdle. And if you had to kind of really hone in and pinpoint one moment in your career or even in your personal life, like that there was this catalyst, this moment where you like stepped away from am I and stepped into I am. Yeah. Can you share maybe a moment that really kind of... I've had a couple in different ways. I think completing the my first project, which was this funny condo in West Hollywood. Do you remember that? I thought it was at the beach, wasn't it in Santa Monica? Is that not the one you were talking about? No, but that's a, that was gonna what I was gonna lead into. Yeah, it was a small condo, and it was like we did it, and he was thrilled. But then I had this one project in the Palisades, and it was a gut. It was like a vacation home. It was nothing crazy, but the the money wasn't a lot. But we created something really beautiful, and it was on time. It was on budget, and I was really really proud of it. And I thought, okay. I can, I can do this. I can really do this. And then, you know, there was a lot of different moments throughout. There was a moment where I worked with Oprah and I redid this entire, the Covenant House in LA and I did three buildings and I did it under budget ahead of schedule. And she sent me this note that said, never in my life have I met an individual that comes in under budget ahead of schedule. And it was just this really sweet note that I have in my office as a really cool reminder. Wow, that's um, a moment. I forgot that's why she wrote you. That's so funny. Yeah, she's yeah. like, I've never met never, somebody. Ne never met anybody. <laughs> Me, definitely not. <laughs> Hell no. And I think that's just because obviously I have amazing people that, that I get to work with every day, which has been the real surprise of this for me. This yeah. team that, and this family that I have that I now feel responsible for. But just also the belief that I'll always show up to do the work that I need to do. Yeah, I don't know. 
That's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I'm still learning every day, trying to figure it out. Totally. All right, Nate Burkus. Yep. What would you say is kind of the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome throughout your life journey? I would say there's two. I would say we talked a little bit, I mentioned earlier about how I don't think, I don't believe you can compartmentalize anything. I don't think you can be wildly successful in business and miserable personally. I don't think you can be thrilled personally and just a total loser in business either. So I think I, I don't believe in buckets. Like people used to say, oh, my personal life is one bucket. My professional is another and my emotional well-being is another. I'm like, mm, they're so all connected. Yeah. It's all the same thing. So one, I think, was getting honest. Um, and that involved coming out of the closet when I was in college. I've written about this, but I think what one of the great disservices that no one talks about for gay youth is that when you are in the closet, you are lying constantly because you are lying about what you like. You are lying about what you enjoy. You are lying about who you love or who you're attracted to. You're lying about what music you like because you're just desperate to fit in. And I've never met a well-actualized, act, self-actualized, well-adjusted gay male adult who didn't go through a transformation to get the honesty back mm. and really get to know themselves again as a gay man, living honestly, living openly. I don't think you can have anything without that level of honesty. So that includes obviously professional accomplishments. And the second was surviving the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2005. That I lost my partner, who was a really talented photographer, Fernando Bengochea. I was I had led a very charmed life up until that exact moment, even with coming out of the closet. I mean, my parents were sad but supportive, and you know, I moved on. But you know, I was raised in a family that had some cash. We had access to stuff. I wasn't, you know, I we didn't struggle as a family. I was raised with my emotional well-being at the forefront, I would say, of all four of my parents' consciousness. And nothing bad had really ever happened to me before that. Nothing. So that is a big life lesson that comes and smacks you right between the eyes. That is something that you really like look at and you're like, oh God. And what I remember the most about it is that it stripped me to the essence of myself. Because I stood there with no identity, no money, no resources, no options, no choices. And I had to redefine who I was as a person and, and define who I had been as a person. Mm. So, you know, it was a big moment of self-evaluation. Am I going to make it? Am I going to choose to live? Am I going to choose to live? And if I choose to, how am I going to do that? Am I going to thrive? Am I going to fail? Am I, am I still the same person? Do, does any of this any matter to me anymore? It was yeah. a big existential crisis. But I'm happy to say that, you know, it, it, it was one of probably the most important moments in my life. And looking back on it now, I would never trade the lessons that that taught me. Um, I certainly wouldn't trade the experience. I think about it fairly frequently because Jeremiah has been so open about including Fernando as part of our, our relationship. Our son Oscar is named after him. So there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of memory that still comes in. But randomly, one of the women that I survived the tsunami with, her name is Annie Nackvi, she was in town from London and we hadn't seen each other in 12 years. And she asked if I wanted to meet for dinner last month. Wow. And we did. Wait, you did you know one another there? Oh, yeah. We, we like survived, they survived it together. together. There was we, a group of them. It was four or six. It was five of us. And they really were together. 
for 10, for, yeah, for, I keep saying 10 days, but that was one of the things that I learned from Annie. It, it wasn't 10 days. It was four days. I thought I stayed in Colombo for 10 days. That's been my memory. Wow. But I got to ask her, this was the most amazing gift. I got to ask her if my memories of how I behaved after the tsunami were correct or not. Because I remembered all these things that I thought I had done, but I didn't know if I had made them up. I mean, you know, I was on drugs. Yeah, like I was course. like, you know, I had no idea. Pain pills, not pain, drugs. Pain pills, which are drugs. I yes, mean, it was clonopin. I didn't know what they like, gave me in Sri Lanka. It of was, course. you know, I was like, but the point is, is that I, I found out from Annie that everything I thought I had done after the tsunami, I did. And that involved a lot of things that I'm really proud of, like sending milk and diapers down to the most, the worst affected areas. And making these donations in cash to all these organizations who were the first on the ground to help repair, you know, anything and get emergency services to the people that were still on the coastlines. And so I was just, it was just such a cool gift to have that confirmation because that's, that's kind of crazy. Wow. But exactly that confirmation that you received from her, I feel like you, you two as a couple, you travel so extensively and I feel like you still continually give back. Yeah, we may we have a pact in our house and in our lives that we're if we're not doing something that leaves it a little bit more beautiful, then we're not doing it. We went on a trip to Laos. Uh, we were there for two weeks. We volunteer. We go down to uh, a kids orphanage and try to give back. Same with the kids. You know, I think we have a commitment to trying to leave. Even with the show, you know, the intention with Nate and Jeremiah by design wasn't just about being on TV. It was about showing kids things that we had never seen before, which was a gay family. I never thought in my entire life that I would be happily, ma insanely married um, with children. Yeah. doing what I love with people I love. Never thought in a million years it would happen. I had never seen it before. And, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, in a time where it was a lot more evolved, but we're we're still trying with everything we do to empower people to believe that anything's possible. And that was a big decision that I'm sure you guys talked extensively about, about mm -hmm. to have the kids on the show or not. It was you, really hard. You really wanted to really kind hard. of show yeah. the country what love was for a same sex. Yeah. Well, just to show how, 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 how much it is like them, like how, right. how, how no similar different. it is to worry about your kid when they have a cough and to hope that they're getting a good education and to worry about, you know, everything that a parent worries about. We just wanted to present our family as just the same as everybody else's and except the, for two dads. And the crazy thing is people were really sweet. Yeah. yeah. People were really kind, which really fuels my belief that people are, are people know better. It's like, what's, who says that? When is they know it? better, you do better. When they, yeah, when they know better, they do better. I mean, people are so sweet to us. There was not, I mean, for every one troll that had something negative say, there were thousands of people who mm. were super supportive and have been always very sweet because I think they trusted our intention, which is the same as theirs, to raise a a healthy, evolved, um, loved family and loved kids. That's always been what it's about. By the way, I just want to say for the record that I thought the hurdles were career, which is why oh. I'm talking about like a condo and you're talking <laughs> about surviving the tsunami. Well, that's that it. condo really was a hurdle. I'm such a surface level um, piece of shit. Wow, babe, that's amazing. <laughs> now, now everybody who listens to Athena's podcast knows the truth. Yeah, he wears a bronze onesies and <laughs> only cares about amazing. his career. Amazing. Okay, Nate, what was the catalyst though? Like where was that? 
that moment where you really embraced yourself or felt embraced? Am I or I am? Yeah. <laughs> a part of it, I'm sure, is you, actually. I mean, you know, definitely from a f- family point of view, I mean, I, I would never go on this journey with anyone else besides Jeremiah raising kids. He's an incredible dad. I think professionally, though, I think it was probably years ago. It was my first big collection. It was for linens and things, which is now gone or online only, but it was a big, massive retailer. And I did a, a huge collection with them. I'm still friends with the team that helped me develop that. And I remember standing in a linens and things, and it was like Nate Burkus, And there were like three walls, and from floor to ceiling was all product that we had designed. And my little face was on like every like package of sheets or napkin rings or whatever. And I just thought, well, okay. Like that's that that's it. Like, you know, yeah. that's the moment. And then of course, like not five minutes after that, I got a photo on my flip phone from my grandmother in Florida standing in her linens and things Aww, in the same exact spot where so I was standing. Sweet. And I was like, this is that this now this matters. Yeah. Like because this is a public facing, forward facing risk and it's going to work and it looks beautiful and I'm proud of it. And who knows what, you know, what this will be. And you'd never designed product before? No, oh my God, that... I was terrified. Yeah. When Linens and Things signed the contract originally and they gave me this big bonus to do it, I had really good agents, <laughs> but like this, they gave me this massive check and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was 26 years old, 27 years old. I was like, ha ha And then I was like, this is the big celebratory thing. I was the first person that they ever worked with that, that to create a proprietary brand. And so they didn't really know what they were doing. And I certainly didn't know what I was doing. And I had like a full-fledged breakdown in the car on the way back from <laughs> Clinton, New Jersey. And where I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know how big a twin, extra long twin sheet set needs to be. How many tines are on a fork? How do you, like, what's this interior circumference of a, or diameter of a napkin ring? Like, I don't have any of these answers. And my manager at the time was like, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. They know. Somebody knows. Somebody knows what you know. How many? How to how to make a steak knife? And I was like, right, okay, we're <laughs> gonna be fine. Take me to the bank. Let me put this check in there. Amazing. Oh my goodness. Well, I could talk to you guys forever, but you have to pick up Poppy from school. So I just wanna I wanna ask you guys what advice you would give to somebody that is on this kind of unknown path and maybe you know struggling to find what their passion is, how to move through it, how to trust themselves, how to believe in themselves. How do you move past some of your kind of roadblocks and what would you advise for other people that are kind of, you know, navigating this road that's a little less traveled but is becoming more and more common? I I think thinking about this a lot because especially as a parent, you're trying to figure out the best advice for your children on how to move through the world. And I've been trying to figure out what it is what it has been so far for me professionally and personally. And I think it's like boiled down to this. I have never strived for perfection, but I am striving for completion. Mm. And and it's it, it goes, like it makes me want to cry just saying that because I, you know, the completion of family, the completion of the things that I'm doing in my day-to-day, the completion with projects, looking at them and going, this is complete, this really feels whole, this feels right. And I think if we can make the differentiation between perfection and completion, like really looking at something and making and feeling like it's complete, you know, that's why... I am not tethered to TV 
because I, we've done something with our show that felt complete to me. I, I really was proud with what we did, and and I don't need it. It doesn't serve more than just be you know respecting what television is and and understanding what it, and people being able to connect and you know connecting to people through design, but showing love through design. I love that, and I felt complete. Mm. And I don't know. I think it's a big. It's it's something that I feel and why I'm not necessarily tethered to certain things and the lesson that I want to give our children they don't need to be perfect they don't have any responsibility other than you know trying to find things in life that bring them completion Mm, and that's um, so beautiful we'll, we'll see I'm trying they're four years old no but I mean that's authentically the way you live your life I mean it's even not to go back to the, to Fernando and the tsunami, but like even the way that your marriage vows yeah. were about having this complete family, not necessarily yeah. from outside perspective, yeah. a perfect yeah. family, because you live your life, your marriage, your family life with yeah. with the trauma that happened to Nate and yeah. Fernando is a part of your life. So that that's what makes your mm-hmm. family complete. Even my childhood looking that's back, true. you look back and everybody's striving for this idea of the perfect family. And nine times out of 10, they're not complete. They're not listening. You know what I mean? My childhood was terrible and fractured, and and there was a lot of ideas of what it needed to be, but it wasn't anything whole. And so I think that would be my advice, which I'm still working out, but it's navigated me in a really beautiful way. It's good advice. Yeah, beautiful. Your turn. Me? Yeah. So the world's changed since I started my career. I mean, I started my career, there were like basically like five TV stations it feels like like the it feels like you know 700 years ago um <laughs> i think there's a lot of opportunity out there i think that people now can take control of their own creativity in a different way anyone can open an instagram account anyone can go on youtube anyone can create their own sort of narrative and story and i think that that's incredible what i would say to someone anyone out there is that What I've learned, because there's so much competition and because there's so many people who have really interesting things to say and show and and display, grace goes a really long way. Mm. And I remember being taught that as a kid. Like, make sure you're really nice to whoever's assistant you're, you're meeting with that day. And, you know, I've left dates when somebody's like rude to a a server. I mean, so I think, you know, we, we treat, we're only as good as the the poorest we treat any other person. That's that's it. That there's no other definition that really matters to me. And I think that, you know, especially in the world of business, people remember stuff. People remember not a big sweeping gesture, not a big grand gift, but they remember kindness. They remember looking someone in the eye. They remember remembering their name. They remember not you not being an asshole. Yeah. And I never want to be the guy on anyone's calendar whether it's a meeting with Target in Minnesota or another partner or, you know, you today. I never want someone to see my name at 1 p.m. on this day and be like, oh, no way. What about me? (laughs) (laughs) You you see it and you're like, oh, man. I'm going to start scheduling meetings and sending you calendar He's coming back to the house, I guess. Oh, my (laughs) God. Wow. I mean, that's really profound and really being your friend, it's very – True. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody in your life you've had these long-standing relationships with, to the, your team that surrounds you, to partners that you've worked with, and that is a testament to your kindness. Thanks. That's really good advice, guys. Thanks. We're Thanks. trying. We're trying. We're still figuring out. Yep. 
If you're enjoying more than one thing, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And please don't forget to rate and review us and keep spreading the love on social media. Feel free to tag and DM at iSwoon on Instagram. I'm Athena Calderon, and you're listening to More Than One Thing.